We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Open up our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. As today we cover verses 9 through 13 in this chapter. And a lot of people will tell you that up to this point in 1 Thessalonians, it's kind of like an opening, it's an introduction, it's almost like a, like a doctrinal element. And then when we get into chapter 4, it's more practical. Um, but I think it's practical throughout the whole book. And especially what we're going to see today, it's kind of broken up into two sections. Number one, if you're a Christian, my prayer is that you would have a, a an attitude of gratitude. You know, to be thankful, to, to be that type of person, a grateful person. And so number one is an attitude of gratitude. But then number two, and here's where it gets challenging, I think, is that you would cultivate a heart of prayer. A heart for prayer. And we're going to see that in our study today. Uh, look at verse 9. Paul says, For what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake, before our God night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. You know, you guys, um, I, I, th I thank God that you're here, and I don't want to sound too repetitive because I did mention this last week, but I tell you what, I want more than that is that you make it to heaven. It's kind of like rooting for a team, and, and they're, they're ahead, and you're just thankful for that. But you know the game's not over. Some of you here, you're playing with sin. You're messing around, and you think you're going to be okay. You know, because, you know, there's still that element of a connection. But you know what? That might not be there tomorrow. Samson kept playing with sin, and it, and it cost him his life. You know, um, I just, I say that to you because we can't mess around anymore. That if you're messing around and you're, and you're drinking and you're doing sex before marriage or you're dabbling with pornography or you're you know, doing your anger, your vulgarity, your pride or whatever it might be, you know, and you're like, well, no one sees, but God sees. And more important than that, the Bible says this, that we have to take more careful heed to the things we've heard lest we drift away, you know. And so some will say, well, they were never saved. And that might be true. Uh, that's a very strong possibility. But I just, man, I just encourage you to abide in the Lord, to stay close to Christ, so that when you die, you will not go to hell, but that you will go to heaven. And so you can't mess around. You know, what do we do? And what are some of the things that contribute to that? Well, I think right here... Uh, Paul's going to share with us some important things. And he begins with an attitude of gratitude in verse 9. For what thanks can we render to God for you, 
for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God. You know, one of the things that jumps out when you read this letter, 1 Thessalonians, is a lot of gratitude. There's a lot of thankfulness. If you go to chapter 2, in verse 13, it says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing. So he was thanking God without ceasing for the work that the Lord had done there in the Thessalonians and that they had received the word of God for what it was, the word of God. And then in chapter 1, verse 2, it says, We give thanks to God always for you all. Now, so he was so grateful uh, for the word, that work that God had done. Here in chapter 3, verse 9, it's like Paul is saying, you know, we can't thank God enough for you. And I do feel the same way. And I'm sure that you can talk to Henry and Mark and some of the leaders here. And, and even for all of you here, look around. Thank you, Lord, for these people. There are, there's no, there's not, there aren't adequate words to express the gratitude that we have and I think it's important to be grateful to God for the things that he's done. You know, one guy said this, we should spend as much time in thanking God for his benefits as we do in asking him for them. And it's true. You know, we're asking God for things quite frequently. We should therefore be thanking him. And we are praying for the group to go to Mexico to keep them safe. And now let's thank God that he did. And, and it just goes throughout life. You know, Paul said, when we stop and contemplate the fact that you not only truly, really got saved, which that in and of itself is amazing, right? But that you've endured through these terrible trials and tribulations, through these afflictions. And he said, then when I consider the fact that not only did God do a work in you, but now God's doing a work through you, so that through the provinces of Macedonia and Achaia, and he says, even, you know, beyond, that God is working in you, he just said, man... I am so grateful to God. So amazing was the work of God in this church that Paul had this attitude of gratitude. And he said, thank you, God. And, and, I, and I, it's a really important attitude to have. Some people, they don't have that attitude. You know, they're pessimists and there's complainers and they don't see the good things that God is doing. And we have to be really careful with that. You know, to me it's interesting. I don't know if you guys knew this, but the word think and the word thank... They come from the, great, the, the same stem in their original language. They hail from the same root. And that reminds us that thanksgiving comes from thinking about the blessings that God has bestowed upon us. You know, our spiritual health, uh, praise God for that happens, and most of us here, are even our physical health. I mean, when was the last time you thanked God for your ability to see or to hear, or maybe for the, you know, most of us here that, you know, to walk and to have the, the health that we have. Helen Keller once said, I have often thought it would be a blessing if each human being were stricken blind and deaf for a few days at some time during their early adult life. She said it would make him more appreciative of sight and sound. I mean, there would be a real quick attitude adjustment if we went through such things. And what a world of difference, what a life of difference between the person who's a complainer and the person who is a thanker. There's a Jewish proverb that says, if men thanked God for good things, they wouldn't have time to complain about what they consider to be bad. And it's true. 
Notice here in verse 9 that the work of God, the church of God, there in Thessalonica, it brought joy to their hearts. It gave them that voice to rejoice for what thanks can we render to God for you for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God. You know, he was thankful for the work that that they, they did and he was also thankful for the joy that it brought to his heart. Now here's the thing, and I think this is part of it. You know, it was because he was worried and he was probably more along the lines convinced that something bad was going on. You know, because uh, the afflictions they went through, you guys remember they were there in Thessalonica for a few weeks and then they had to leave and the Jewish guys followed them into the next city. I mean, they were in some really bad territory. And so have you ever had that feeling about somebody you're thinking the worst? You know, I've, had, I've actually had uh, experiences where at one time I thought, I thought this guy died. I thought something happened to him that he died. You know, and because and so-and-so went to his house and this and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, next thing you know, a few days later, you find out he's alive. And what do you do? You're so happy, right? You're like, hey, you're alive. What are you talking about? Well, I thought you were dead, you know? And it was kind of like that. That was probably with the Thessalonians. It got so low, and he's worried and concerned. He couldn't bear it any longer that when he found out they were doing good, oh, it just brought so much joy to his heart. And And that was the attitude of gratitude. We saw that, like I was talking to you guys right now, and, and here's the way it works. You know, you're, 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 you're watching the, the Dodger game because, you know, you guys are Dodger fans, right? Not Angel fans. I'm just joking. I told my son I like both teams, but the Dodgers more. Anyways, you know, the, you know I don't know. The, the Dodgers are down by, by three. It's the sixth inning, you know, and one of the guys comes up and hits the grand slam. And so you're like, you're like, yeah, you're so happy, right? There's an element of joy, right? And that's the way I feel, and I think that's the way we probably feel towards each other. I look at them and I think, I thank you, Lord, that they love you. Thank you, Lord, that they got saved. Thank you, Lord, that they're serving you. Thank you, Lord, that you're working in them. Thank you, Lord, that you're working through them. And there's that joy. But then... If you go back to chapter 2, look at verse six nineteen. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. And what's he talking about there? He's talking about not just a grand slam when they're down by three in the sixth inning. He's talking about the grand slam that gets hit when they're down by three in the ninth inning. That when it's all said and done, that you are in heaven. Because I know until then, the devil, he's after you. I know until then, your flesh will do everything it can to fight the work that God has done. And so here we see, you know, Paul, with his attitude of gratitude, so blessed for the work that God had done, and so blessed at the joy it brought to his heart when he considered those things. And I pray that we would cultivate that, you guys, within our life. I pray that we would cultivate an attitude of gratitude, that we would be thinking and thanking God in our life. 
But then it goes beyond this, and it moves from an attitude of gratitude. Here's my prayer, you guys, that we would have a heart for prayer. How is your prayer life? Are you praying the way that you should? You know, this is a challenge for us, and we're going to see how important it is. Paul gives us a pattern that when God does a work, we need to cultivate an attitude of gratitude And we need to cultivate a heart for prayer. Notice again there in verse 10. Night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. And notice verse 11 is like a prayer. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And we're going to see that whole section right there, verses 12 through 13. It's all a prayer. It's all a prayer. You know, there's no doubt in my mind that Paul and these guys, they were serious prayer warriors. And so maybe you're reading that and you're like, well, how do you know they were serious prayer warriors, Manny? He didn't say he was a serious prayer warrior. Well, if he said he was a serious prayer warrior, he'd be a prideful guy, right? (laughs) But here he is and he's saying, I pray for you night and day. I pray for you exceedingly. Right? And it's important for us, all of us here that are Christians, that we need to cultivate a heart of prayer. But can I say this? It's even more important for those of us who are leaders. As leaders, God wants us to be praying for the people. Samuel said in 1 Samuel 12:23, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. I mean, if you don't pray for the people and you're a leader, then you're in sin. That's what Samuel said. It's important for us to cultivate that heart. That's why Peter found helpers to take care of the tables. And then he said in Acts chapter 6, verse 4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. You notice right here in verse 10 that he said he prayed night and day. And then he uses that word exceedingly, communicating the fact that they prayed extraordinarily, abundantly, constantly, night and day, every day. And this is the blessing for the leaders. Uh, I think for us, we, we, we are so blessed that God's called us to that. But not just the leaders, you guys. I think it's for anyone who wants to lay hold of such a privilege. I mean, can you think of anything better than you talking to God? You're like, yeah, I like to watch TV. What? you rather watch TV than pray to God? I can't think of anything better than praying to God. Only after that is talking to my wife and my kids and, and serving the Lord. But on the top of the list is my quiet time with God. And it's available for anyone who wants to get blessed. That life is available for anyone who wants to see the Lord and see him work. I'm reminded of that lady named Anna. We read about her in Luke 2, 36-37. It says, Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. I just pray that God would grant us that discipline and that consistency. 
And you know what? As being involved in the ministry, I know there are some of you here who are like that. You're like Anna. Your gifts to the church. You're seriously, vigorously praying night and day. And I just want you to know that I thank God for you. We need you. I honestly believe some people, say every once in a while, they'll say, you know, I don't know how like you do it. You're busy or whatever. And really, I, I, I'm so blessed because I believe that the reason I'm able to keep my head above water, even sometimes by the grace of God, walk on water, is because of ladies like Anna or men who are praying. I know that's the key. And so when I find myself in dire straits or desperate situations, I'm so blessed to know that we have those prayer warriors in this church. Now here, Paul prays for four things that I think are important for us to be able to to talk about. Um, Look, first of all, what Paul prayed for. He, He prayed for like a visitation. He prayed for God to open doors that he can get a closer look. Again, look at verse 10. Night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face. I need to see what your, if you have any pimples, you know. (laughs) I need to see what your complexion is like. No, I'm just joking. That's not why he wanted to see their face, right? And we know what that means. That means this has to be, you know, something that happens in person, You know, we read the same request in verse 11. Look at verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. You see, because letters are cool and emails have their place. And thank God for Facebook and FaceTime and Skype and Skype calls and all that kind of stuff. But if you don't mind my grammar, there ain't nothing like face to face. Right? Paul the Apostle felt that way. Um, we know John the Beloved felt the same way. In Second John verse 12, he says, Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. He said the same thing in Third John verse 14. Paul had that heart face to face. John had that heart face to face. Even God has that heart, right? I mean, when we read in the Old Testament, there were those special times where God wanted to do this face-to-face. There was that time when Jacob was wrestling with God all night. Remember Genesis 32? And uh, it says in Genesis 32:30, after that happened, Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face-to-face, and my life is preserved. The same thing happened with Moses, the one who would be used by God to deliver the people of God from the bondage of Egypt. It had to be better than the letter, right? It had to be face to face. And so we read in Exodus 33, verse 11, So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friends. You see, there are those times when we need to move beyond the long distance type of communication. And we need to see you know, face to face. And so you're like, well, how come I don't get to see God face to face? You know, if God likes it, if this is so important, how come I don't? And the answer is, one day you will, right? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then 
face to face. And so, anyways, Paul knew the implication of his visitation, and so he prayed, God, that I would be able to see them uh, face to face. God, that you would direct me to be able to be with them. Paul knew that sometimes it's the devil dividing, it's Satan separating. Remember what we read back in chapter 2? Look at verse 18. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. I mean, this could be something as simple as you visiting your parents. I mean, I'm serious. I mean, you're like, well, you know, we text message. You know, I, I give them a call every once in a while. And, and, and Satan's like, that's cool. That's as far as it goes. And a lot of times, it is the devil dividing it is Satan who is separating. And we just kind of can't get past that, that block wall. What do you do? What did Paul do? He prayed. <laughs> he prayed because, you know, he knew that he was no match for the devil, but the devil's no match for God, right? Satan was somehow stopping this visitation, and Paul knew that God was the only one who could make a way. And so he prayed, May our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And it could be a block away. It could be on the other side of the world. It doesn't matter. If it's not face to face, it's not face to face. And we have to ask the Lord for wisdom in these things. You know, recently we were blessed to make a trip to Cambodia it was at a point where we felt our friends, our family over there, our co-laborers in Christ were going through the fire, and we needed to be there with them. We needed to go to Cambodia. We needed to see them face to face. And so, you know, it was interesting. When we arrived at the airport, uh, we were checking in. We had all our luggage, and there was a problem with Robert's passport. Apparently, it was going to expire relatively close to the day that we were going to return and so this is what I think. I think the devil tried to stop him from seeing them face to face. And so, boom, it's up in the air. It's up in the air. Is Robert going to be able to go? It's up in the air. There was, a, there, was a, there was a war with the prince of the power of the air right there in the, in the airport. And we started praying, right? You know, and I really do believe there was a battle going on with the devil and we prayed, we took it to the Lord, we gave it to God, and lo and behold, eventually, after we were sweating like a whole bunch of bullets, and I think I lost 10 pounds, no, I'm just joking, you know, uh, the Lord said, okay, you're, you can go. I will not let the devil stop you. But when I think of that, I think not only us going to Cambodia, but I think about the Schmitz family coming to America. You know, same thing that we're talking about right here. There's no doubt in my mind that the devil did everything he could to prevent this family from coming to the States. He prevented, did his best to prevent this from happening because he knows how valuable and how vital that type of visitation could be. And so what was happening, so many people were on their knees praying, imploring, asking God to make a way. I'll never forget, you know, they said, okay, well, here's going to be their, their appointment with the government. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, back of my mind, I'm thinking, I don't know if this is going to happen. You know, I mean, Samuel's not their son. Um, 
And then I was just amazed how just instantly, you know, Gabriel texted me like right away and he said they got they got they got their approval to come. And I was like, "What? You're lying." Me, you know, man of faith, right? <laughs> and it was just so cool. And I believe this is exactly this is precisely what we're talking about, how God wants us to see sometimes people face to face and we need to pray. Ask him for wisdom and make sure that the devil doesn't get the victory. You see, when we're Christians, we need to have an attitude of gratitude. We need to have a heart for prayer. And it's so cool to see the things that Paul prayed. He prayed, number one, that he would have a closer look. Number two, he prayed for them that they would have a greater faith. Because look at verse 10. Night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. I mean, he's praying to God, right? And he's asking for these things. You know, we're not just going on the visitation for vacation, right? Uh, There's a goal in mind. And Paul prayed to be able to be there so that God would use their lives to continue the work that he had begun and perfect what was lacking in their faith. And maybe there are some of you here today, your faith, your faith is lacking. Something's missing. And God's wanting to use his word to strengthen your faith. Your faith is like a muscle. It's strong or it's not. It gets stronger when you use it. Abraham was known as the man of faith, but he didn't always have faith. It took him a while, but he eventually grew to the place in Genesis chapter 22 when he was willing to sacrifice his own son. Because he knew by faith, his faith at that point was so strong that he knew God had already promised him that through this son, you know, the Messiah would come and that he would be blessed with descendants as the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea. He knew that and he believed that, but he wasn't always there. I mean, earlier when he went to, uh, you know, the, the, the promised land, I mean, just things happening should have never brought lot. When there was a famine in the land, he went down to Egypt. He shouldn't have gone there. And when he did, a couple of times he lied about his wife he had uh, 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 sex with Hagar. I mean, that was just completely the flesh. He wasn't always a man of faith. But God worked in his life. And maybe that's what God is doing in your life right now. You're here today and you're like, I've failed. I've done this, 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 and this. And maybe in the back of your mind, you're thinking there's no hope for me. Oh, yes, there is. There's a lot. There's a lot of hope for you. There's an infinite amount of hope for you. You've got to rise up. And you have to believe. And you have to receive God's word. Because the Bible says by, that, that faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. In Romans chapter 10 verse 17, Paul wanted to be used by God to teach the word of God to the people of God so that their faith would be perfected. Their faith would come to a place of maturity. The Greek word means to render fit and sound and complete. It means to mend. It would be like the same word used when they mended the fisher's nets. To make one what he ought to be. And we should all have a heart to perfect our faith. And in this sense, we should even have a heart for others to be perfected 
and completed. And that God would use my life to help others become what they ought to be, especially in the area of faith. You know, what a difference that will make in our lives. Do you guys realize what a difference that will make in your life? I mean, how is your faith? How is your prayer life, you know? Um, It's been said that a little faith will take you to heaven, but a lot of faith will bring heaven to you. You see what I'm saying? You guys remember what Jesus said? um, That I have come, that you may have life, and that more abundantly? Well, what ends up happening is faith brings life. And in order to have the abundant life, you need to have abundant faith. And what ends up happening is God will use his word to strengthen your faith. It's been said, he who feeds his faith will starve his doubts to death. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. And so it follows that if you want life and that more abundantly, you have to have faith and that more abundantly. And you know, I've been talking to people and it's crazy because a lot of people, their faith is not growing. Their faith seems to be going in the opposite direction. They're not as strong today as they were when they first came to Christ. And that can happen. You know, I read a story. It's a true story about a man named Henry Manning. He was formerly the Archbishop in the Anglican Church of Westminster, and he was a popular author of numerous books. And so apparently he went through a season of depression and a darkening of his faith. And it was during this time that he decided to go to a Christian bookstore to buy a copy of one of his own books. And it was called called Faith in God. Faith in God by Henry Manning. And so in those days they had the, the books down in the cellar. And so the guy goes down there to get the book, but he can't find it. And so he calls up to the clerk and he says this. He said, Manning's faith in God is all gone. <laughs> and, and it was like the Lord was kind of like diagnosing him. That's where you're at, huh? You're struggling. You're depressed. You're down. You want to know why? Because you've lost faith. I mean, you've you got to believe. And then there was this double dose of strength that came within him. And for us, I think it's important to know that we have to have a strong faith. The Christian's faith is like that muscle that can go stronger. You know, I can look at my bicep and I, sometimes I laugh. I'm like, what happened, man? It used to be so so big, okay? Not that I'm boasting or anything, man. But I used to bench press like 250, no problem. I'm, I'm just like, wow, obviously, you know, there's been some digression in that faith uh, strength there in my bicep. But you know what? Uh, there's, a, there's a more important muscle, and it's that muscle of faith. And so Paul prayed for them, and Paul prayed for a closer look. I want to visit you. Paul prayed for a greater faith, and then Paul prayed for a greater love. Look at verse 12. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. Now this is kind of interesting because the Corinthian church already had faith and love. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love. If you go over to chapter 3, verse 6, it says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love. And so they already had faith and love. 
But Paul prayed for more. Prayed for more faith and love. You know, I, I think of love sometimes, and I think of love, you know, as this manny you got to choose. And it's true. Yesterday we had a class for the married couples. It was about love. And uh, it really convicted me. And uh, I saw how important it was once again. We need those fresh reminders. And, and part of you, you know, you go to a class like that, and you're like, okay, i got to do it. And it's true. We have to make a choice. But did you know that you can pray? You can pray for your wife. You can pray for your friends to have a greater love. You can pray for yourself. God, give me a greater love. That's what Paul is doing right here. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another. It's not just, I wanted to get, I want you to have more. I want you to have leftovers. I want it to be overflowing. It's kind of like the other day when I went to Ahos and Savoya. And they had this, I, I forgot what it was. You guys know where that restaurant is in South Almani? They have a, a, their new cook is, or their old cook is back, so it's really good again. And um, I'm serious, man. But I don't know exactly what my friends ordered, but man, the food just kept coming and coming and coming. It was so good. And I think like I gained like 10 pounds that day. But by the time it was all said and done, we had just like just bags of leftovers. And I ate those too, <laughs> you know. But that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying I wanted to, uh, I wanted to increase. I wanted to overflow. I want your love to be so amazing that it's overflowing. And, uh, and believe it or not, when we pray for people, that can actually happen. You know, we want people to get saved. We want people to get blessed, and we want the best for others. And so we pray. Lord, lavish them with love and let their love grow. Think about your kids. When your kids are young, you want them to grow, right? You're probably even hoping they'll be tall, right? To grow. And you want them to grow intelligently. And you want them to grow, you know, intellectually. And you want them to grow in manners of responsibility. But do you want them to grow lovingly? In love? That's what Paul is praying right here. God, that it would... Super abound. That's what that word increase means. Uh, the word abound, it's used in ancient literature of a flower going from a bud to a full bloom. And it carries the idea of exceeding normal expectations. And so Paul said, my desire for you guys is to grow in love. And you know, uh, undoubtedly that's a desire that was motivated by love. Do you want that for other people? You know, I like what Amy Carmichael said. She said, when my interest in the work of others grows cool, then I know nothing of Calvary love. I want you to be blessed, Paul says. And what a difference it would be if we had this type of love. Paul says there at the end of verse 12 that we were an example. Notice again verse 12, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all. So just that speaking of Christians and to everyone, just as we do to you. How do we do this? I think we have to choose to love. I think we need to pray for others, pray for ourselves, and just start loving, man. One guy said this You learn to speak by speaking, to study by studying, to run by running, to work by working, and just so you learn to love by loving. Begin as a mere apprentice, and the very power of love will lead you on to become 
a master of the art. In our study today, we learn about the attitude of gratitude that we need to have as Christians in a heart for prayer. And Paul prayed for a closer look. He prayed for a greater faith. He prayed for a greater love. And then the last thing we see here is he prayed for a greater holiness. In verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And I've mentioned to you before that every chapter in this book ends with an element of eschatology or the doctrine of the last days, the return of Christ. That's the emphasis. We see that in chapter 1, verse 10. He speaks of the wrath to come. We see that in chapter 2, verse 19, his coming. And here we read about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Hopefully that's us. When Jesus returns, as the Bible says in Jude, verse 14, that we're coming back with him. And so that's going to be cool. You're like, well, I never rode a horse. Well, you'll know how to ride it then, man. It's going to be a flying horse. It's going to be so cool, right? And we're going to be coming back with the Lord. And I think there's an extra stimulation in that, you know, like, hey, get ready. You guys remember that song by Crystal Lewis? People get ready. Jesus is coming. He's coming. You know, we read of these things that are going on around the world and, you know, just to make sure you understand the way the Islamic religion works because a lot of people are coming out and they're, they're not telling the truth. They're saying, well, these guys that are the ISIS crisis, that's just like the weird Muslims. But it's not, it's not the weird Muslims. It's, it's the fundamentalists. It's those who believe their Koran. See, we have Christians that are liberals and they don't believe the Bible, Okay. And, and they're, they're not fundamentalists. But what we find is that those of us, we are, we're right on. We just take the Bible for face value. You see, the Quran it tells their people to kill. To kill. And it gives them the rewards that if you lay down your life in a jihad, then you will go to seventh heaven. Okay? All this... Is, 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 is playing up to what is leading to the end of the world. You know, I was watching a video of this guy. He got, he, he's, uh, he got saved out of Islam, and Jesus appeared to him in a dream. And, uh, and he told him that if he continued on the path as, as a Muslim, that he was not going to go to heaven, that he was going to go to hell. And so after that dream, he went back and he prayed more in, in, the, in the mosque. And so Jesus appeared to him again. And uh, that time, it got his attention, and he went and he gave his life to Christ. And then he started a church, and the church is growing. And I think there's like a 1,000 people. 30% of them are former Muslims. But what ended up happening is one day after church, uh, after church service, he went out, and a guy said, I want to talk to you. He got closer to the guy, and then he knew something's wrong, so he turned his face, but it was a little bit too late. The, the, the Muslim threw acid on him. And his whole body was burned, half of his face. You know, but he, coming out of that, and I, and I have a, a video, you guys probably, you've probably seen it, but this happened actually in 2011, but, you know, just, uh, um, he's just saying, that, that's, what, that's what their Quran teaches. So you can believe the news guys today who are saying, oh, that's not, that's not true Islam, or you can believe 
the guys who have been in the trenches, who know what the Quran teaches. And so why is all this happening? Uh, Because the Lord is just saying, I'm coming. I'm coming quickly. I'm at the door. Why in the world are you not living a holy life? Why? It doesn't make any sense. You know, uh, what would... That could break my addiction to pornography. That would break my addiction to drugs, alcohol. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The Lord wants us to live a holy life. And so that's what he's saying right here. He's just saying, I'm praying that you would have a greater holiness. You know, we read about this. God wants them to be established. I want you to start standing. Stop vacillating. Stop fluctuating. Don't go up and down and all around. That was Paul's prayer. You know, one translation put it this way. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father. You know, when I think of the heart, you guys, I just think of this, that I want to be real. I want to be real. And I want it to be deep. We want to be blameless in holiness. You know, and I, and I know that we can't be perfect, but we try, huh? You know, there was a, uh, the way that the Jews used to, to do it is they believed at one point that if they lived a perfect day, that the Messiah would come. Did you guys know that? They, so they tried to live a perfect day. They said if somebody here can live a perfect day, then the Messiah would come. And so they tried to live a perfect day. But this is the way I look at it. The Messiah has come. So I'll try to live a perfect day. Even though I I know I'm not going to, but the Bible says that's my goal. Every single day, every thought, every word, every decision, every action, all that I do, all that I am, Surrendered to God. Holy, surrendered to God. That's what holiness is. Holiness is separated to God. Holiness finds its origin in the Old Testament when they would take, you know, something as simple as, you know, the, the instruments that, you know, maybe it could be a gold cup and you could take that cup and if you want to, you can drink some beer or you can take that same cup and make it holy and set it apart and use it in the temple, right? I mean, it's like for us as Christians, I mean, it's everything, so many of these things are neutral, like our, like our car is neutral. Your car, let's say, you know, some of the young guys, okay, they finally get old enough to where they can get a license, and now they get a car. They got, they got wheels, right? And this is what they do. They get their license, they have their car, they get in the car, and they go to their girlfriend's house and they have sex before marriage. Say, that car, that car just got used for unholiness. But they can get in that same car and they can go to church. See, it's everything that we have, it, when, it's, when it's set apart, when it's holy, you know, that's what God is saying money is. That's what the TV is. That's what your iPod is. That's what, you know... Your life is. And when you're, when you're using your car for, for good things, you're going to good places, 
That's why they call you holy rollers, right? This is how we roll, man. I'm rolling to church. We can be holy. How do I know that? Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Stop making excuses. Stop justifying your sin. God lives in you. God does. And this is God's will. God doesn't want us just to be happy. God wants us to be holy. I remember a while back they interviewed Joe Theismann. Uh, He was a quarterback for the Washington Redskins. And they asked him why he had an affair. And Joe Theismann said, well, God wants Joe Theismann to be happy. That's what he said. I think a lot of times that's why we do what we do. You know, bottom line is God doesn't want us to be happy apart from holiness. Besides, that will never, ever, sin will never make you happy. Right? When you walk with the Lord, I tell you what, that'll make you happy. And so we learn today, I think, just to have an attitude of gratitude and we learn to have a heart for prayer. You know, and just really praying these things and all the things that God will lay on your heart, praying for a closer look, praying for a greater faith, a greater love, a greater holiness in my life and in the life of my family and the life of the church. Really, I, I want to close today even by asking you, pray this, pray this prayer, you guys. Pray it 30 times. No, I'm just joking. Pray, pray. It's so cool when you pray Bible and, and then you watch what, what God does. You know, because prayer is so huge. Maybe you're here today and you're like, well, I'm too busy. I'm too busy to pray, God. Well, it's interesting to me that Paul said, I pray night and day. But you know what else he said? He said earlier in chapter 2, verse 9, that he worked night and day. You're like, well, wait a minute. Okay, he's ministering to the church in Thessalonica. He's working night and day, but he's still praying night and day. Don't tell me you don't have time. You have time to get on your knees. We do. And we need to do that. I'll tell you what, I don't know how we could ever make it without prayer. One last thing. I I read this article about uh, this guy uh, who was re-enlisting into the Air Force and... uh, and he was ha- kind of having some problems because he didn't want to, to, to do the, the pledge that he has to pledge in order to re-enlist. You want to know why? Because part of the pledge was, so help me God. He didn't want to say that. So help me God. Because he's an atheist. And I thought, you know, poor guy, man. What a, I mean, you guys know that it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a theist. Right? Like, where did all this come from? I mean, there's just no purpose in life. I mean, to actually think that there's not an intelligent designer to this intelligent design is actually foolish. So, you know, you feel sorry for these guys that are atheists, right? But, you know, here he is. And I guess in one sense, even though you think it's kind of silly, you understand why he wouldn't want to say, so help me God, because he's an atheist. But here's something that's even sillier. When Christians don't pray, when Christians don't say, 
So help me, God. When Christians don't pray the way they should, we're not necessarily atheists, or at least not by position, but we are by, by practice. We're practical atheists. And so my prayer for you, for me, the challenge today, you guys, let's pray like we mean it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for who you are, for what you've done, Lord. And I just really thank you for every person here, Lord. I pray there would be no condemnation to those who are in Christ, but I I do pray there would be power, there would be challenge. And there would be you working in us, Lord, to live lives that are worthy of such a great salvation, Lord. Thank you for being such a wonderful God. You're so gracious to me. And I just want to worship you today. And and I just pray, Lord, that you would take your word and that you would increase our faith. That you would take your word, Lord, and it would be a working word planted in our heart that we would not sin against you. Give us power, Lord, I pray, for Calvary Chapel Almighty. Lord, that when you look at this church, that you would be pleased. Do that work, Lord, I ask in Jesus' name. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.